We'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 5 and the uh, first three verses of the following chapter. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them. Yes, I'm sorry. I was supposed to invite you all to stand. My mistake. You don't have to. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, uh, and uh, was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, God's word, all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. That was an awful sleepy. Good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Excellent. See, don't you feel better already? It's a little better. So good to see you. So good to see. I mean, it's good to see Nathan and Grace. And yes, it's. But it's also good to see uh, a new little one here with us, Violet. Um, excellent. We're so glad to have you all here this morning. Look forward to catching up here. A little bit later, and uh, maybe if uh, if you'll let me holding that that little baby, um, love to do that. Um, excited to be here this morning. Excited about this word. I think in many ways this this word that's before us this morning is is so helpful for our our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it it gives us explanation and understanding not only where we might be at in our relationship with the Lord, but I I hope and pray that it's also helpful for us to understand where people who are apart currently from Christ, why they are where they are. And and hopefully the scriptures this morning will give us some uh, instruction on how we might be even able to help move others be a witness to others and get them from point A to point B that they too might be able to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So um, I think that uh, the passage of Scripture before us is intended to uh, wake us up. It's another one of the warning passages in the Scripture in Hebrews. And so in light of you know, warnings that are before us, whenever we hear a warning, we ought to be a little bit more on the alert of what this warning is. So uh, all that being said, uh, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer, and we will dive into our study in God's word here this morning. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. And Lord, when we wonder 
where to turn for answers in our life. We turn to your word and we see that it is profitable for our soul. It's profitable for teaching us, for rebuking us, for correcting us, for instructing us in righteousness. When we need help, Lord, for navigating the trials that come our way in this life, your word serves as our, our, our compass and our, and our comfort. When we need discernment and when we need wisdom for daily decision making, your word provides it and your Holy Spirit empowers us to walk as Christ would walk. When we desire to grow in the Lord, we open these pages and come away with words to feed on. Words to stretch us in our faith. Words to assure us that pursuing the great pearl of price is all worth it. Father, we come away reading these words that remind us to forsake it all for the cause of Christ. These are words that reinforce the confession we made long ago to follow Jesus. And Lord, I pray that this church has a heart's desire to grow in the Lord. I pray each one longs for growth at an individual level. And I pray that we would fervently grow together in the midst of this body. We ask, Lord, that you would grow us up, that you would increase our faith, that you would sanctify us and keep the cross of Jesus ever near us. May it be said of us that we truly desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, one of the many challenges that this life brings our way is how do we gauge growth? How do we gauge growth? What's the standard for moving forward from point A to point B? What does it look like to make progress in the faith, thinking about it spiritually? What's it look like? You know, if we were just to take company, the company, the business, a lot of times these companies and businesses, in order to stay a company or a business, they are gauging on an ongoing basis how things are going. And, and they all do it a little bit differently, but I believe they also have some common factors. Did we bring in more than we spent? Are we still able to function on the positive side of the ledger? Did we add clientele over this last year? Did we complete X amount of projects that we intended to complete this year? Financially, did the company make more money this year than last year? This is a little different than the, than the previous. It's not, are we operating out of surplus, but are we further ahead in our financial margins this year than what we were a year ago? Businesses and organizations are thinking in those terms. They're constantly gauging how they're doing. Are they growing? Are they learning? How many of you at home have a door or a wall dedicated to the growth of your children? Anybody? Have a little wall or a door, maybe in a utility room where you've got tape maybe set up and you, you, over the years you, you had the children line up against the door and you marked on the door how tall they were. And maybe every three to six months, every 12 months or so, they'd got back up there and you, you see, Wow! Wow, look how much they've grown. You were just this little, now you're this big. Growth. It's a pretty amazing thing. And as a parent, it's pretty exciting to see them grow physically. To see them sprout up. Tell me, though, how would you respond if you started noticing a trend in your children that they'd stopped growing? There'd be some concern, I believe. Children are supposed to grow up. It's the way God designed us, to grow. 
He designed us to grow. You know, I was thinking about this and I was, I was reminded of when I came into the world, I was somewhere around 21 inches. That's 21 inches for you. But over time, ooh, tell you what, Caleb, can you come here for a moment? You just hold that end. Over time, I went from about 21 inches to 69 inches. Anyone who can do the math, that's how tall? Five foot nine-ish, give or take. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate your help. 21 inches to 69 inches over what seems like many, many, many years ago now. Charting physical growth doesn't take much more than a measuring tape. But how do you begin to measure spiritual growth? Is it measurable? When Peter exhorts his listener at the end of the prayer, I specifically was praying 2 Peter 3.18, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When he exhorts his listener to grow, do you think he had in mind just a one-time growth spurt or more of a steady dose of growing over time? This idea of keep on growing in the Lord. You see, when the Bible calls us to something, and in this case, to grow, do you believe God's Word provides you with the necessary tools to make this a reality? Do you believe that this Word contains all that's necessary for you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust that these scriptures are truly profitable for your soul and able to make you wise for salvation? Do you have faith that God is still speaking in these last days through His Son and that the Son speaks through these scriptures desiring to conform you and grow you up into His likeness? I was reminded that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy And I was reminded that Jesus comes that he might bring abundant life. And I'd ask you this morning where you stand in relationship to Jesus Christ. Are you striving to grow in the Lord or simply just tread water? Are you desiring to grow in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ or make it a point to just show up in the Lord's house on a Sunday morning? Is there a heart to, as Paul says in Philippians 3, to know Christ? Do you have a heart this morning to know Him, to be found in Him? Or are you content simply hearing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon? Truth be told, as you sit here, maybe for some of you, you're recognizing this gap Things aren't what they ought to be. Know that we are called as a disciple to be a learner and a follower. That's the idea. Mathetes, a a disciple is a learner, a student, a follower of whom? In this case, Jesus. If Jesus is the one we follow, are we making steps along the path that he's taken? And let me remind you as well that the call to grow in the Lord Jesus comes to us while we are sojourners in a foreign land. A land over which the Bible says the devil holds sway in 1 John. The call to grow in the Lord arrives at our doorstep in a world that largely opposes the cause of Christ. So the call to grow up, to mature in Christ, is not going to be easy. It's simple, but far 
from easy. Some of the terms we come across in these scriptures. Believe and receive Jesus. Trust and obey, we sing. Trust and obey Jesus and his word of truth. Walk in the Holy Spirit and not in the flesh. Walk by faith and not by sight. Abide in the vine of Christ. Be a witness to Jesus. Be a doer and a hearer of the word. Not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. The word gives us many instructions. Very simple instructions. But growing in the Lord is far from easy. It's not easy to carry these out day by day by day when the trials of life come and the place that you live in this world is is infested with sin which makes growth much more difficult. Christ came to give you life and with that life that only He can give, He's called you to endure, to persevere, to keep on going in the faith, to keep holding on to Jesus, to keep looking unto Him, to keep running the race that He set before you. He's called you to no small thing, church. In fact, I was coming across, every now and then I pull us out just to get another flavor of a familiar passage of Scripture. And so I did that this week with a familiar passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. This is a paraphrase. This isn't a translation. But I do like the, trans, I do like the way that, that he uh, paraphrases this, this passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, why is it that he gives us these special abilities to do certain things best? It is God's, it's that God's people will be equipped to do better work for him, building up the church, the body of Christ, to a position of strength and maturity. Until finally we all believe alike about our salvation and about our Savior. Wouldn't that be amazing if everybody thought alike about their salvation and about the Savior, Jesus Christ? That we all held on. That we all lived our days with this hope of who Jesus is. He goes on. Believe alike about our salvation and about our Savior, God's Son, and all become full grown in the Lord. Full grown in the Lord. Yes, to the point of being filled full with Christ. Then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly, and each part in its own special way helps the other parts, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's fantastic. That's Ephesians 4. Looking at the New King James in verse 15, it renders it speaking the truth in love. See, God desires that we may grow up. Listen, we may grow up in all things. In all things. Into Him who is the head. Who's the head? Christ. It's God's desire that we would grow in all things into Him, Christ, the head. Remember, we're the body, we're the parts. And He's designed it in such a way that the parts are functioning, working together, connected together as we're all connected to the head. We're intended to grow into Christ. Well, the recipients of the book of Hebrews... As we've already covered to this point, made up of Jewish believers 
Jewish unbelievers. Probably not a far cry from most, if not all, the churches here today. Not that they're all Jewish, not speaking in that regard, but I am speaking in regard to churches being filled with believers and unbelievers. And as we move through the end of chapter 5 and into the first verse is probably where we'll end up getting the first part of 6. It's important we understand the you in verse 11. It's where we left off last week. We left off at 10. Speaking of Christ being saluted by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That mysterious man, Melchizedek. And then verse 11 says, of whom, speaking of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. The writer of Hebrews has more to say about Messiah as high priest in this order of Melchizedek. But at this point, it seems like he's he's interrupted to... Insert another word of warning. Another word of exhortation. He's going to come back to further explanation on this Melchizedek. In fact, you'll see that at the end of chapter 6 and then the beginning of chapter 7. He's going to do additional teaching on this Melchizedek. But for now, it's as though he's saying, hold that thought. Hold that thought. There's something else I need to share with you before we go any further. I'd like to ask a question. As you look at the text, who are candidates for dole of hearing? Who who would be a candidate for dole of hearing? Believer? Unbeliever? Both? I'm putting it out there for you to think about. Because I think that the text is speaking to us this morning, whether we are a believer, whether we're not a believer, I think what's being spoken here this morning in this passage of Scripture is instructive for both camps. Those who are dull of hearing could be believers. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ. That's key. Babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? See, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church, and he's pointing out that some are operating in a carnal of the flesh mentality. They aren't acting like a Christian, they're not acting like a believer. They aren't walking together as believers should. They haven't lost their salvation. But there's a noticeable change now in their behavior. Instead of abiding in Christ, they are fighting among themselves. Instead of operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, they are walking in the flesh having positioned themselves where they cannot please God. That's what Romans 8.8 says, that when we operate in the flesh, we cannot, it's not possible, we cannot please God. So can believers in Jesus be dull of hearing? Can they become sluggish, is another rendering of the word. Can they become sluggish at times over the long haul of following Jesus? It's possible. As long as sin resides in this earth intent, it's possible. 
And yet I want to point out this morning to you the difference between the believer and unbeliever in this regard. You see, while it is possible for the believer to become dull of hearing during the journey, know that the believer in Jesus is characterized primarily by hearing and doing. He's characterized by obedience. The believer. The unbeliever is characterized primarily by this dullness of hearing. He habitually lives in this way. This is the mode of operation for the unbeliever. Walking in the flesh. He operates according to his own desires... He hears oftentimes only what he desires to hear. I do believe, and as we make progress through chapter 6, I'm hoping it'll become even more clear. But I do think in large part here, this dullness of hearing is directed, and we've talked about some different audiences here in this book of Hebrews. The believer, the unbeliever, and maybe even you could break down the unbeliever into two camps, if, if that's possible. But there's a, there's, a, there's a group of unbelievers who maybe are hard against hearing this word. And then there's a group of unbelievers who are right on the cusp of entering in to a relationship with this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it makes me wonder as I read the text if, if this word of warning isn't specifically, primarily, I'm not saying exclusively, hear me here. I'm not saying exclusively. Is it, is it primarily? It's causing me to wonder if this is primarily intended for those who are not a believer. And I'm hoping as we go through chapter 6 and unpack some of these things, this idea will become a little bit more clear. I do believe in saying that, that all the believers need to consider this text as a trumpet alarm, a wake-up call to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder, I believe, of what can happen when you turn your ear away from the Word of God. It stands, I believe, as a potent reminder of how growth in the Lord is hindered or squashed over time. Dull of hearing. Dull comes from two words, no and to push. Put them together, no push. Reminds me of that car long ago. Remember that Nova? Remember the car? No, no go. Some of you had one, maybe experienced that very thing. No push, sluggish, dull, slow to grasp something. Having come to a halt on the teaching of Christ in the order of Melchizedek, the writer addresses the trajectory of his listener. He says, you've become dull of hearing, friends. Let me show you what this looks like. Let me explain to you where this leads. Let me give you an idea of what it produces. And in verse 12, the writer gives three characteristics of those dull of hearing. It's almost like he's saying here, remain dull of hearing and here's the results. Here's the results. First of all, we see in chapter 5, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. What's one of the results of dullness of hearing? You're not where you should be. You're not where you should be. See, I'm firmly convinced as I read the scope of this book. These unbelievers had been taught the truths of the gospel. They'd heard the truth of Jesus Christ on many occasions. They were so accustomed to hearing it, in fact, that many of them, by this time, ought to have been teachers. I don't believe the emphasis here is upon teaching as in like a a role in the body, so to speak. I, I think the emphasis here is on the length of time. It's the length of time. 
by this time, why is it that they ought to have been teachers? Because there's been a great deal of time, there's been a great deal of energy expended their way to see that they know and hear the truth. Now this is also true of the believer. Some of you are not where you should be. (laughs) Many of you have heard sermons for years. You've read your Bibles and yet there's very little evidence of growth in the Lord. By this time, enough time has elapsed for many of you that by now, some of you ought to be teachers. Believers, ask yourself this question. Am I making progress in my relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Have I been wasting my time here with other things? I love the title of Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. Spending all your days in things that are going to blow away like the chaff. Keep looking at the text. Remember, we're looking at, he's he's describing, I believe, some results of one who is dull of hearing. We see in the second part of verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, he says, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. So here's another result. You'll spend additional time learning your ABCs. Let me unpack that a little bit. Instead of teaching others what you've heard, being in a position over this long period of time, having heard the word, having heard the truth of God's word, he says you need someone to once again teach you the first principles of God's law or the oracles of God. Really, the oracles of God has a, has a reference in large part to the Old Testament scriptures. So, so piece this together. What he's speaking about. You know, I was reminded here, uh, growing up, and many of us here, so uh, many of us here can relate to this. Parents, we can relate to this. Many of us here grew up in the public school, right? We grew up in the public school system. And you can relate to this. I remember it wasn't an uncommon thing growing up in the elementary school to find out that so-and-so didn't get to move forward into the next grade level. Little Johnny didn't get to move up into third grade. Little Johnny had to go back and do second grade all over again. He was held back. Instead of graduating from second into third grade, he had to do second grade all over again. And I believe the writer is laying a warning before his listener. And saying, you you keep going in the direction that you're going, and here's what you can expect. You're going to spend additional time learning your ABCs when it talks about the first principles. The basic elements for you science folks. The primary things. Grammatically speaking, ABCs, going back to the beginning. You have need that someone teach you again these basic things. Remember that the Jews were given the advantage of having the oracles of God available to them in Romans chapter 3. What advantage then is there in being a Jew, Paul says? Much in every way, for to you was given the oracles of God. You had the word of God. It's reminded of that passage in John chapter 5 when Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders of the day. He says in John 5, 39, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, Jesus says. You proclaim to know all these things about the word, and yet you've missed 
The whole point of the word, Jesus said. I'm the point of the word. I'm the center of the word. You see, the Jewish unbelievers to whom he's speaking, as he's writing here in this passage, they knew the scriptures. But they missed Jesus. They were missing the Messiah. And we talked last week about how hard a time they had understanding Messiah as high priest. Dullness of hearing results in not being where you ought to be and having to be taught again the ABCs of the Scripture. And we think about it from the believer's standpoint, we ask the question, what about you? See, one of the dangers of not progressing in the faith is that you end up losing what you once knew. How many of you have learned passages of Scripture that you now no longer know? Anybody besides me? Good, I'm glad to hear I wasn't the only one who did that. I, I remember years ago, I remember working through Mark's gospel, and I remember getting the first four chapters memorized. I was pretty fired up about it. I was excited that I had God's word in me. And then something happened. I don't know, it's been such a long time, I can't remember what happened. But now I have still this great familiarity with the first four chapters of Mark, but it's not what it used to be. So you end up forgetting what you once cherished. You end up losing sight of what had been a precious truth or what had been a timely promise in God's word. And, you know, I was thinking, the length of time added up in this room. If we were to add up the length of time, the number of cumulative believing years represented here in this room. What has it cultivated in the life of this church? Let me maybe move it closer to home. In your own house, when you add up the number of years, cumulative believing years in your home, what is it cultivated to this point in terms of fruit, in terms of evidence, in terms of making a difference for Jesus? I believe the end of chapter... 5 verse 12 gives us one more result here of this dullness of hearing. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You have come to need milk and not solid food. One of the results here is that you'll need a change in diet. You'll need a change in diet. Having, the heard, having heard the word of God over a great length of time, you are in a position to be a teacher. Yet, you need once again someone to teach you the elementary things, the ABCs of the word, because you've missed the Messiah. You think you know the word. You think you know God's law, but you've missed the end of the law, Christ himself. And coupled with that, you're only able to digest certain things right now. You've come to need milk and not solid food. Ralph and I were talking this week and it came up in the course of our conversation. I don't even know if it was attached to this particular passage of scripture. But I was reminded right here of that song. I believe it was back in the 80s. Some of you who remember songs back in the 80s might remember that unique title, Fat Baby. Do you remember the song? Amy Grant. Says, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell, he might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He's saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. And the chorus goes like this, he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and he... Don't mean maybe. He sampled solid foods once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. Remember, these are 80s lyrics here, okay? So. He knows the books of the Bible in John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. 
I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said, here's the last line, the last stanza. He'll never grow if he never gets fed. This fat little baby, I believe, is an apt description of the immaturity that is prevalent in many churches. Doctrinal truths upon which the church has stood for hundreds of years, they land cold on the hearts of many in the church. And yet, this ought not surprise us. Reading 2 Timothy. In my reading just here of late, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says that, but know this, Paul says to Timothy, remember Paul's about ready to go, this is his final word to Timothy, but know this, he says to Timothy, this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And he goes on and he talks, and when you fast forward to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I want you to notice that in the text, the listener has come to need milk and not solid food. He needs it. That's all he can take. Solid food is God's intention Spiritually for each one of us. And yet the listener here can only receive milk. Milk and solid food. You know, even a baby grows in his diet over the first few months of his life. How odd it would be if your son remained on milk as he grew to be 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. That picture is a little disturbing, isn't it? Where do you stand today? Are you craving solid food from God's word? Are you looking for a little milk just to get by? Are you taking in a steady diet of solid food from God's word? Are you depending on someone else to feed you solid food from God's word? Or are you being a student of God's word yourself? Know that you will remain on milk as long as you distance yourself from Jesus. Absent of the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be any craving for solid food. The Spirit in you brings about the desire for God Himself and for for God's Word. He is always going to point you, the Spirit that is, He's always going to point you to the truth found in Jesus. That's one of His roles. We live among a people where the cry of the day is, give me my milk, let me have it my way. So there's this warning from the text, and and it presents results for those who are dull of hearing. You're not where you should be. You've been wasting your time. You'll spend additional time learning your ABCs. It's just perpetually being schooled in the basics and not getting anywhere outside of that. And you'll need a change of diet because you just can't stomach solid food from God's word. Well, you keep looking at verses 13 and 14. And you see that here in 13, the milk-only dieter is actually labeled. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled or inexperienced in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Now, there's nothing in this word, babe, that would lead us directly to associate with a Christian, per se. I want you to notice that Paul in Corinthians chapter 3 specifically says, babe in Christ. He actually says, in Christ. He's addressing the church. He's addressing a carnal behavior of those who said they were Christians, but they were living and operating and acting very much like the world. Context in Hebrews 5 indicates that the babe is 
unskilled and inexperienced in the word of righteousness. And this phrase, the word of righteousness, is rendered in a couple different ways. I'll share two of them. One, this person is inexperienced in the doctrinal teaching of righteousness. How does one attain to righteousness? The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might, here it is, become, that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. So it's through Christ that we become righteous. How do we receive our righteous standing? Right? They're inexperienced. They're unskilled in that. But there's also this idea of this person being inexperienced in what it is to have righteous and to live out righteous behavior. It's not just doctrinally knowing what righteousness is, but also this behavior, the outworking of righteousness. And a great passage for that is Titus chapter 3 where he says to Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live, how should we live? Soberly? Righteously? That's how we should live. And godly in the present age. Napios, babe. West says in his commentary that the analysis of the book, talking about the book of Hebrews, and the context in which the word is found, require that we understand it to refer to these unsaved Hebrews. Listen, babes are content feeding on milk. Babes are not accustomed to anything more than milk. Babes are immature. The picture of a babe feeding on milk is normal. The picture of an adult babe feeding from his bottle is not normal. The song that we just read the lyrics to, someone who's older and they can't take a whole lot, that's not normal. And yet we see babes dot the landscape of our society. Lots of immature babes are of age to vote. And we'll vote for someone who scratches their itch. Immaturity has no desire for the word of righteousness. But it breeds additional folly and feeds their appetite of pleasure. So what about the one who partakes of solid food? Having defined in verse 13, at least in part, the milk only dieter. He now turns his attention to the one who eats solid food. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age... That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who are full of full age. It's contrasted with the milk-only dieters. The word comes from teleao. It's a word that's already been used here in the book of Hebrews as we've studied it. To perfect or to mature. The mature are those who feed on solid food. The immature are those who remain content feeding on milk. Those who are of full age is qualified in verse 14. It speaks to one who has by reason of use. By reason of use. In other words, the mature are accustomed to, that's another word there, uh, instead of uh, inexperienced. It's, it's, they're not accustomed to. They're not a, the mature are accustomed to the word of righteousness. They exercise their spiritual muscles on a regular basis. You know, I've been doing uh, a, a new workout uh, since, since uh, about three, four weeks ago. And in the new workout, I've been taking part in some new exercises. And the new exercises have touched some different muscle groups, causing some soreness. You know, when your muscles get sore... A lot of times they're sore because you haven't exercised those muscles, right? You go do something, you do some lifting for a long period of time, and you come home and the next day your, prob your shoulders are probably sore. Well, you're not accustomed to doing that. You're not accustomed to exercising those muscle groups. The text says that by reason of use, they exercise, exercise, it's the word for gymnasium where you work out. They exercise their senses to discern what is good and what is evil. In other words, they think, 
They see, not with spiritual blinders on. Their ears aren't clogged to hear the truth. They smell deception. I think of Colossians chapter 2. Not getting caught up in the philosophies of the day. But they know that they are complete in Christ. They're not deceived, easily swayed, blown to and fro by the wind. They are aware of the stakes at hand when the word of God is proclaimed. You see, the listener in the text has been confronted with the results of dullness of hearing. He's been given a definition of milk only. What it is if you intake milk only. What that diet consists of and where it leads. And he's also spoken to us about one who regularly intakes solid food. What does that person look like? So immaturity in this passage seems to primarily mark the life of the unbeliever and maturity is held up as the way for the believer. That this is the goal. Now listen, understand the mark of the believer. The believer, this is an important question. Will the believer go through times of immaturity? Some of you may be thinking. Well, Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's addressing that carnal immature living of some in the church. He's rebuking the church for acting this way. Even in beginning the journey with Jesus, we think about our beginning journey with Jesus. There's a starting point, isn't there? When we start with Jesus, there's a beginning point with him. And with that, there is a certain level of immaturity. But we don't stay there. That's not what God would desire for us. To remain there. The mark of the believer, listen, is abiding, following after Jesus, two hands to the plow, not looking back. Characteristic of the believer in Jesus is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a seeking first the kingdom of heaven, a love and a delight for God and his word. Does this describe where you stand today with the Lord Jesus? I'd like to begin our study in Hebrews 6, verse 1 next week. But I believe it helpful and necessary to read it right now because I believe it connects to all of what we've been reading this morning in the last few verses of Hebrews 5. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's all I want to put forward for this morning. We'll pick it up, we'll start here, and we're going to keep going through several of the verses in chapter 6 next week. The writer's going to elaborate more on this. I want to, my my hope is, God willing to land the plane of what we're talking about here at the beginning of verse 1 in Hebrews 6. Key to understanding the first part here, found in, in the words leaving, And let us go on. Let's look at leaving. Leaving. Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Leaving has in mind to put away or to forsake. It refers to total detachment. Total separation from a previous location or condition. Expositor's commentary renders this, let us abandon. Let us give up completely. Alfred, in his commentary on this passage, he says, therefore, leaving as behind and done with in order to go on to another thing. The word is used here for leaving. It's used in Mark chapter 1, verse 20. For the sons of Zebedee, remember, Jesus calls them and they leave their nets. Not only do they leave their nets, but they leave their father. They leave the business. They leave before they go on. What are they going on to do? Follow Jesus. They detach themselves completely from their nets. That they might follow. The same word is used in Corinthians 7. 
MacArthur says here that it's used in 7 to describe the Christian husband's not sending away or divorcing his unbelieving wife. He says, divorce is total marital separation, complete abandonment of the relationship. It is wrong in relation to marriage, but mandatory in relation to leaving Judaism for Christ. Which is much of what we're talking about in Hebrews. Being anchored to someone better. Wiest, in his commentary, writes of this verse, he says, the act of abandoning is the prerequisite to that of going on. One cannot go on without first separating oneself from that to which one is attached. What is it there to detach themselves from, according to the text? It says the elementary principles of Christ. Literally, it means the word of the beginning of Christ. The word of the beginning of Christ. Literally, that's what that means. Where the elementary things found, when we think about these elementary principles, we ask ourselves, where are they found in the scriptures concerning this Messiah that we know as Jesus Christ? We see the fullness of those things in the gospel records, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's where we see the fullness of them. And in the entirety of the New Testament. But we hear the early sounds of the Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures, don't we? The law, prophets. Connecting this verse to the context, one can begin to see all the types and the forms and the symbols and the shadows in the Old Testament. And even within the scope of the Levitical sacrificial system, the pattern they were given by God himself to follow. It all pointed forward to the reality in Christ. You see, leaving the elementary principles of Christ then is a call to abandon and forever make the cut with the First Testament way of living that they had been accustomed to. Truly, the word of the beginning of Christ is found in the Old Testament. But it's seen more clearly as you open the pages of the Gospels. And so he says, leaving these things let us go on to perfection. Let us go on is the word pharaoh in the original language. It means to carry or to bear. It's used in the passive voice, so it would have the literal rendering of, uh, uh, we'd have abandoning once for all, let us be carried along. That's the idea. Let us go on is predicated on the leaving Let us be carried along has both a destination and an acknowledgement that's coupled with it. The destination is, let us be carried along to what? What's the goal? Perfection. Maturity. It's also an acknowledgement stated right here. Arriving at maturity is something we need God's enabling power to accomplish. It's not let us go in terms of picking ourselves up by bootstraps and just working harder, doing better. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's an acknowledgement that maturity involves God at work in me and in you to move me from where I was to where I'm supposed to be. It's an understanding that if growth is going to happen, God has to be moving in me. I need his enabling power to see that I'm detached from these old things. I need his enabling power to then carry me forward. So what is true for the Jewish listener in the first century is also true today. The call remains true. Are you willing to cut ties with your old ways that you might learn from Christ? Are you willing to leave it all behind and be carried along to maturity? I was reminded this week of that song. Casting Crowns sings a song called The Well. It says, I have what you need, but you keep on searching. I've done all the work, but you keep on working. When you're running on empty and you can't find the remedy, just come to the well. You remember in the Bible what happened at the well, right? John chapter 4. 
He says you can spend your whole life chasing what's missing. But that empty inside, it just ain't going to listen. When nothing can satisfy and the world leaves you high and dry, just come to the well. The Chorus says all who thirst will thirst no more. And all who search will find what their souls long for. The world will try, but it can never fill. So leave it all behind and come to the well. The invite this morning is to leave it all behind and then come. Luke 5 gives us that picture. When those disciples were following, they pulled the boat up on the shore. Remember, they had that big net of catch of fish. And they recognize that Jesus is in the boat with them. And Jesus is calling them and says, Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you what it is to make fishers of men. And I love the way Luke 5 ends there in that passage. It says, They forsook all and followed him. They left it behind. Something that they were very comfortable, very familiar with. Up to that point, they left it. They cut ties with it. They detached themselves from it that they might gain the greatest treasure. Let us, church, be carried along to maturity. You see, because maturity starts to look a lot like Jesus. And looking a lot like Jesus is God's plan for us to conform us into the image of his son. Let us grow into maturity in all things. Let us grow up into the head, which is Christ himself. Amen? This is a good word this morning. I pray we would all receive it as truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Calls us and stirs us to grow to grow up, to leave behind the things that really, truly don't matter, the things that are temporary, the things that may serve as chaff in our lives, the things that serve as our old way of living, the things that make up the patterns of how we used to live and operate. And Lord, for the Jewish audience to whom he's writing, this Old Testament sacrificial system all of the patterns that God himself gave to Moses to, to make all of these intricate details in the tabernacle and the furnishings and all of the sacrifices that had to be made. And this was all pointing to a time yet to come. Pointing to a new covenant, a new way of life. These things that he had given to Moses were but shadows. And the substance and reality of those things would come years later through the arrival of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Father, here we sit today some 2,000 years removed from that time. And yet there are still many today who do not believe. There are still many today who are dull of hearing. There are still many today seeking and searching. They're lost. You see it in their eyes. Father, I pray for each one here. There would be a desire to grow into Christ, to abide, to hold on to you. We talked about how hard it is to grow in this world that we live in. And it is hard. We're bombarded all around us with stuff. That's why I believe that when Jesus is, is sharing that parable of the sower, and he talks about it landing in an area where thorns grow up and choke it. It's because there's a desire all around us for wealth, for money, for things. All of these things, they come in and they choke the word. They choke it. 
Father, I pray that there would be an understanding of who we are in Christ. And that, Father, we would think often in our day of what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that for each one here, we would have a heart's desire to follow you. And that, Lord, we would look to you for the enabling power, not just to leave behind the things we used to participate in and do, but we would look to you for your enabling power that we might be carried along to maturity in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word of truth, Lord. Grow us up. Grow us that we might become more like your son, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.